but then I'd take it a step further and fill that white paper with pattern as mm -hmm. well, because then I felt like the pattern was sort of indicative of a lot more going on or the life that is there, even though I'm only rendering the shadow, it's still a living thing that's making that shape. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the TF Cast. I'm your host, Willis Stout. Hey, Grum here. This is the first sponsored episode of TF Cast, brought to you by Beers, Brats, and Bourbon. And it is May 3rd here in the Solarium. And I am your host, Jacob Basis. Today, we are so pleased to bring back for the second time Shelly Caldwell to talk about her upcoming show at the 410 Project, opening on the 12th of May inversion shelly if you could just introduce yourself to the audience once again and uh, tell us what's been going on with you yeah my name is shelly caldwell and i'm a visual artist in the mankato area i make mixed media works on paper and site specific installations um so always different things but they're always centered around drawing for the most part at least in my mind um and quite often as most people know at this point plants <laughs> so uh yeah, it'll be a nice hybrid of those elements coming into the 410 project next week. Shout out to our plants who have recently left the day we have the plant lady on. <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily, one of those plants was in a photo that Jacob had actually submitted for the drawing end of the project. So um, there'll be a little snippet of that included in the exhibit. Aww. This is that project that you were talking about. Yeah, so there's kind of two ends to this exhibit. There's both a new installation piece as well as a series of mixed media drawings that are essentially just micron pen um, and cut paper layers. So pretty straightforward black, white, grayscale work. Um, but for that project, I had received a state arts board grant in 2021-22 um, because that grant cycle was specifically aimed at how to keep communities connected during the pandemic. So my proposal was um, sourcing images from other people to work from uh, because I was given that lovely idea by somebody submitting a photo to me at random one day saying, hey, this reminds me of, work, of your work. I saw this plant shadow in my apartment and it reminded of me of you. And I thought that was really cool. So decided to write that grant around that idea. So I had people you know, through Facebook or Instagram or Messenger or what have you, um, just sending me images of plant shadows basically in their domestic spaces. Most of them were people's homes, um, but I know some were workplaces or just other uh, interior spaces that I would then extract the pieces that I liked from each image and go forward from there. About how many of these did you gather? Uh, I gathered probably 40 or 50 photos all together. And there are quite a few more that I would like to do um, in the future. So it's sort of an ongoing project. Uh, but I ended up finishing 13 of the works for this exhibit. Oh, cool. Yep. The last we spoke was uh, episode 60 for mm -hmm. your uh, upcoming show at the Carnegie uh, Gallery which is a pretty different space. And I guess I would mention briefly that I checked it out and it was really, really cool, really, really interesting use of the, the big ceilings. And, and, you know, you did a really um, kind of neat installation there. Um, but what are, what are you thinking about and working uh, towards what's going through in your, your head when you're planning for the 410 project here? 
Um, so first and foremost, I guess I wanted to, I guess, premiere these drawings in Mankato mm. because it was about maintaining community connections. And even though my call was open to anybody from everywhere, and definitely, you know, most people that submitted were from Mankato or from the area or people that I was pretty close to at other aspects of my life. So um, I thought it just felt like home or the right place to show these works in general. So I had been thinking about showing them at the 410 anyway. And had I finished more, it probably would have been a bigger conflict because most people that know me know that I get kind of bored working on the same thing all the time. And mm -hmm. if I have a solo exhibit, I'm almost always going to try to put an installation in it, even if it's a new work or a small work or whatever. So mm -hmm. uh, the 410 is also perfect for that, considering it is sort of a bisected space or it has that dividing wall. Mm -hmm. uh, so it really lets me showcase both ends of my studio practice or both primary ends of my studio practice. Um, and it lets people see how those things interrelate because I think a lot of times in images or if you only see one or the other in a gallery space, it's sometimes hard to um, connect the dots for some people. So it's always best for me and for the audience, I suppose, to see both things going on simultaneously. Hmm. You, you mentioned sort of like a shift uh, shifting processes because of getting bored or something like that. What does that look like in a, as a practice, you know, someone who is making art for years, um, like how does that evolve over time? Do you have like good frameworks for switching it up when you feel like it's getting a little dry? What's that like? Uh, for the most part, I'm lucky in that my studio space has several different areas to it. Mm. Um, so it's always in flux. I'm always having to rearrange or it feels like resetting the studio mm. is a big part of the time spent up there, depending on what I'm doing. So that is part of it. I'll try to at least reach a certain part of work, the workload in the series before I reset, because that takes mm. a lot of time. Um, but I do have the space to move things around. Um, as you mentioned, since I've been doing things for a while now. Uh, you just accumulate stuff over time. Mm. And I also live in what was my grandparents' house. Mm. So there's already a lot of stuff there mm. to respond to, which hasn't fed my work as directly these last few years, but it's always there and mm. it's always there to fall back on. So I kind of think of my studio just like the natural cycle of a year, at least in the upper Midwest of mm. there's kind of different seasons for different things. And I can always cycle out of something and then come back to it just because I've moved away from it doesn't necessarily mean that it won't come back around again. Uh, what's going to be to different from, from you know, previous exhibitions that you're excited to share? I know you've, you've kind of touched on what it might look like, but. Yeah, I'm actually pretty excited about it uh, because it's all new work. Uh, I've been showing oh. a few of the drawings off and on over the last year or so as I've completed them in like juried shows or member shows and things like that. But I haven't shown the whole series of drawings up until this point. Uh, so for anyone who hasn't seen those yet, they're completely black and white. Mm. So for people who have seen at least my Carnegie show or several of the other works that I do, they're often very colorful and yeah. have all these other things going on. But for these, I really fell back to the basics of just layers of black and white paper with some gray pieces in there. Mm. And then all the drawing in them is this sort of really intense pattern work and for people that have known me my whole life, that's just something I do. I've always 
doodled in that way. Um, some people might refer to it as like Zen tangling or pattern design or other things like that. But mm. really, I think it just fills that need for me to be doing something. Mm. Uh, so I'm always doing those things in the background, whether I show them or not. And I was feeling that lack, like I hadn't been exploring that avenue. That's really um, inherent for me for quite a while. So I decided this would be a good opportunity to revisit that. Um, so then that extended into the installation in that it helped dictate what colors I used, or in this case, didn't use because yeah. I decided to keep the installation also um, very, I will say monochromatic because there is blue in there a little bit. <laughs> okay. um, but yeah, it's black and silver and then some natural colors of the leaves mm. that are being used and things like that. It seems like there's a bit of a, I guess I wonder how you think about your artistic evolution as you kind of see these different stages or opportunity, you know, gallery showing opportunities appearing. Um, it seems like one thing I noticed and liked about the show at the Carnegie was um, you had a, floor, a flower, a lot of flowers and plants, which are traditionally very colorful uh, themselves. But in a lot of the way you'd represented those things, it was actually um, the like background that was colorful, and the plant itself was more of like a silhouette. And and seems like in this in this example, you're going even kind of like farther in that direction towards. Um, everything being more grayscale. So how do you think about trying to uh, communicate the like life of a of a really interesting object or plant or flower, especially when you're like stepping away from color in that sense? Yeah, I guess I've always thought about it in a few different ways. I think the first one was when I started going back to school and decided to be an art major. Mm. I've always been interested in nature, but I really didn't want to be typecast as you know that girl who makes flower drawings or like pretty works mm. about flowers so mm. I always try to come at it from um, a little bit of a different slant uh, so the previous works that have that colorful background definitely follow that in terms of not um, just applying color as it naturally occurs because really then like what's the point right we have photography we can all take really great photos of what things actually look like whenever we feel like it um, so what's the point of making a drawing or a work on paper instead so that fuels part of it is how do I upend things a little bit um, but then the other part is well you know what color is big and we're all really attracted to color, but what other things are compelling or what other things can convey like in essence or life force or things like that. So the color in the previous works was really indicating maybe more natural forces a little bit or used in a more abstract way. And here with these new works, I'm using pattern to sort of do the same thing. Um, so they're called inversions because rather than just making these simple cut paper layer works on paper, when I chose an image or a part of an image, I would invert the light in the shadow areas. So anything in the images that was light became black paper and anything that was just a stark dark shadow would then be made out of a piece of white paper that was cut to fit that shape but then I'd take it a step further and fill that white paper with pattern as well, because then I felt like the pattern was sort of indicative of 
a lot more going on or the life that is there, even though I'm only rendering the shadow, it's still a living thing that's making that shape. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think when we were looking at a lot of the, uh, some of the ones I mentioned in the previous show, um, it felt sort of like there was an aura or an energy being depicted by the color. And I guess I'm ex excited to go to this show and see if I can kind of like feel that out in a different way. Cool. That's, that seems interesting. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what you guys think of them or um, how you interpret them. Because with these, it wasn't just then putting the plant life in via pattern. Mm -hmm. I was really thinking specifically about the contributors in a lot of the works. Not every mm -hmm. single one. It would depend on the drawing. Like some of them have a lot less pattern drawn in because maybe there was already just a lot of pattern already going on in the light and shadow areas and drawing more pattern mm. would just be too much. Um, but in a lot of them, if I chose just a big stark form, I would then fill it with a pattern and I would choose that pattern based on not just what felt right formally in the drawing, but as I mentioned, most of these people are from Mankato and I do know a lot of my contributors to various extents. So I would try to think about a pattern that reminded me of them in oh, some way cool. or some aspect of their personality perhaps yeah. um so there's a little bit of that in the decision making as well what do you th how do you think about um like collaborative works like that i i guess there's probably a bit of uh give and take and and you know it's taking some influence from some of those outside ideas or trying to think of a different way of doing things uh what does like that collaboration mean to your artwork I feel like it's become increasingly important uh, because I've always been someone who is really good at checking boxes or jumping through hoops. So like mm. I really enjoyed the structure of school, even once it once I was done with all of my gen eds and things outside the art department. Um, I really liked that framework of having assignments or prompts or mm. things to help push a work in a certain direction that I might not think of on my own. Uh, so really, that was something that once I was finished being a student became really difficult. Like, well, how do I get these prompts from somewhere else? Mm -hmm. Or how do I make a rule yeah. for whatever it is I'm going to do to help pull me forward? Otherwise, I just kind of get stuck in that place of I'm just going to doodle patterns because I don't know what else to do. Or mm -hmm. I'm just going to go draw a plant because I don't know what else to do. Um, so putting all those pieces together with some outside influences through collaboration is really helpful to me at least. Well, I, li I like that. I think um, as artists um, it's easy to, um, and maybe it's, it's a circumstance of like the studio and a practice, but it's really easy to kind of get lost in a process or you know, too, too zoomed in on one thing. So mm -hmm. I like that as a framework for, you know, switching things up and stuff. Or the uh, const uh, creative constraints or something. Yeah. You know, you've got a bit of input from another source. Mm -hmm. And we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Beers, Brats, and Bourbon. You are cordially invited to raise a glass and raise awareness of youth hunger in our communities. Join Feeding Our Communities Partners at their annual Beer, Brats, and Bourbon for Backpack on Thursday, June 22nd. This casual, laid-back fundraiser features the best craft beer, bourbon tastings, grilled fare, a spirited silent auction, and live music from both B-Bomb Fields and the Tony Cuccetti Band. 
This unique event will be at FOCP's Backpack Central Warehouse. Tickets are on sale right now. Proceeds go directly to support FOCP's work feeding greater Mankato area youth. For more information and to purchase tickets right now, you can visit feedingandfueling.org. Listeners of the TF Cast get a special offer for $15 off the t- full ticket price if you use the code 15 off at checkout. That's the number one, the number five, and capital O F F. See you there. Hey, welcome back. We're here with Shelly Caldwell, and we are talking about your upcoming show up at the 410, but uh, uh, did you have any other installations or shows going on right now as well? Yeah, I currently also have a show going on at the Austin Artworks Center in Austin, Minnesota. That one opened on March 31st and is up through June 3rd, so that was another nice opportunity to bring my work that at least folks in Mankato might be familiar with to another community. I don't even know where Austin is. Like, is this, what is, what, what is Austin? And what's a little bit about like what their arts community is like? Well, most people know Austin as like the home of spam. So they're an I-90 corridor city. So for me, they're like that halfway point to Rochester Mm. from where I live and where I grow up. Uh, So Austin's about an hour east of where I live or just over an hour from here, depending on which roads you take. Um, So it's another nice southern Minnesota community. And they have a really cool old building in downtown Austin that they've converted into a really huge, amazing shop featuring a ton of handmade work from artists from all over the place. Um, and then they have a second floor gallery that's like old apartments that have been converted into several spaces. There's sort of two gallery spaces, this reading room, basically. There's a bunch of really comfy chairs and bookshelves and mm-hmm. some offices and things up there. So it's a old historic building. And how did you uh, find yourself involved with these folks? Just reached out? Yeah, uh, they're, you know, another satellite community, so to speak. So always looking for different places to show my work. Uh, My friend Beth, that uh, was like my first friend in undergrad, is from Austin originally as well. So quite a few years back, she had encouraged me to do the Austin Artworks Festival one summer, which I have done a couple of times since. And that got me more familiar with those folks in that space. So it was a good opportunity to show the work that I still have in a different place. Yeah, that's interesting how the, the work kind of lives its own, uh, like, life's... Like, what do, what do you do? This kind of leads into my, my next question, too, which was going to be about, like, you, you kind of uh, talked about college being in your, your near, like, rearview mirror, but also that you've been doing art your whole life. Like, what has that journey been like? Uh, and... You know, how did how did uh, like that level of education like affect your output and outlook on the uh, arts community and your own work? Okay, Uh, yeah, I'll try to keep it fairly short. As you touched on, I've really always been making. Um, I'm the youngest in my family. My older sisters could draw and draw well. They could do all the things. So I always just wanted to do whatever they were doing, whether it was art or playing the piano or playing sports or whatever. I just sort of parroted what they did for the longest time. Uh, But as we got older, they could definitely still do it. Their journeys just took them in different, um, on different paths. So in high school, I really started to 
continue to take all the art courses or anyone else who's gone through the public school system knows that unfortunate ultimate choice of having to choose between like music and art. Mm-hmm. They're the same elective class periods. You can't mm-hmm. do both at a certain point. Uh, so even though I enjoyed playing the flute and playing piano and doing other things, it ultimately came down to that. I enjoyed drawing or painting or playing with ceramics more. Um, so I, I finished high school still taking a lot of art classes among other things, but then I decided not to go to college right away because I just didn't know what to do with that because I was quite frankly afraid of hating art if I was going to pursue it as a career. So I just did the, I'll work retail jobs or customer service jobs or any other number of jobs you work when you're 18 to 23 years old. And ultimately it sort of takes that same cycle of, You get a job, (laughs) you get sucked into the job, you stop getting um, pay raises for the job, but asked to do more. And so it became clear that I was like missing school and missing that structure and that Mm. sort of community and that challenge, I think. Um, So I decided to start going back to school just to get my gen eds done. So uh, my partner is from Hutchinson. So I did all my gen eds and beginning art classes at Ridgewater and Hutchinson before I ultimately moved back to Mankato, which is much closer to home to both finish undergrad and stay on for the MA program here. So it was kind of a little bit of a, uh, we'll call it the scenic route Mm -hmm. back to and through school. But I think it really made me appreciate it a lot more than I might have if I went when I was 18 or even 20. Um, So that was a big part of it. And even though there was that age difference, it wasn't huge between a lot of my peers once I went back that I felt like I still had enough in common. And I also appreciated what we didn't have in common because then that would help challenge my mindset or give me ideas that I wasn't exposed to. Well, you know, one thing I I would always say, a lot of people say don't take a gap. And I always kind of disagree because I'm like, well, you don't know what the workforce is like then. Mm -hmm. Like, so someone who experienced like that and then went back with the intention of like knowing what it's like to be an artist or Mm -hmm. like having an idea of like what that oftentimes struggle can be like how did you um orient yourself into the arts coming right out of it like were you able to hit the ground running a little bit more um i maybe i don't know um i feel like i grew up with more than enough uh, but i know we certainly weren't well off. So that combination of, you know, growing up, just making do with what you have, and then seeing that experience of what it's like to be in the workforce and to know you're just always working anyway, it doesn't matter whether you're getting paid or not, like you're always working, you're always having to do things and jump through all these hoops. So um, it ultimately felt like, well, I might as well pick my own hoops then, right? If it's going to be a challenge, it might as well be a challenge I enjoy and not something that I'm not into or even worse, like working for a company that you ultimately find out you don't align with or you don't believe in the same things and you don't maybe want to perpetuate certain cycles. So um, if it's going to be hard, you might as well choose yeah, what that looks like. Yeah, make it hard for yourself. Yeah. Going, going through that process, like what did you find was the biggest changes for from coming like, you know, practicing art, high school gap, and then after, 
what were the biggest differences? Did you have um, like better frameworks for understanding making decisions as an artist? Did you have better like practical, you know, skills with the brush or, you know, what, what, what were your main takeaways from some of that time? I feel like early on or in high school, um, it's, or throughout youth, it's really like skill-based and just learning to play with different things and try different things and just mm -hmm. do your best at it. But I feel like, quite frankly, I was lacking creatively, at least compared to the way I approach making art now. Mm. Um, it was always about, you know, how good is it? It, it good meant like skill mm. before. And then once I wasn't pursuing it and I was just working, I, I wasn't making very much at all, but I would certainly still draw and paint as often as I felt compelled to. Um, and then going back to school, it was a weird shift of taking all those intro level courses and tr still trying all the things and building skills, but then being challenged creatively because the biggest critique I would always get in undergrad especially was like great you have the skill we know you could do the thing mm. but like so what or yeah that's so tight and so perfect nobody's even going to spend any time looking at it because it you know like looks like a photo but then what else is going on or mm. so what right so yeah. just move on to the next thing um so it really was a difficult challenge for me to then think about like okay well how yeah, how do I make it something people want to look at longer or start to go, yeah. why did they switch the color from the subject to the background or things like that? So yeah. even though it was difficult, it was really enriching to get a lot of that um, feedback that helped push me into thinking about things differently and then drawing different yeah. connections between things other than that just how well can you draw that or paint that thing? Yeah, like especially when you're when you're trying to either trying to come up with new creative ideas or just in the, in the flow of art and, and, you know, moving into a new space. Like, what do you, is there, are there any mantras or things the professor said or, or even things you read or uncovered in those times that you kind of stick, stuck with you in a really strong way? Like anything that you could write on the wall of your studio that would really just help or, <clears throat> I mean, really, I think it's that so what thing, yeah, you know, you have cool. an idea and it sounds great in the moment, regardless of what the idea is or what it's about. But yeah. the longer you sit with something, it's like any idea, it's like, well, am I going to do the thing or am I tossing that out? And then if you feel like you want to do it, it's like, well, why? Or like, mm. so why, why should I care? And then extend that to, well, why should other people care? <laughs> right. So I think about the, the so what of it. Um, which is still usually answering a personal question or like, why do I really want to invest my time in making this thing? Mm -hmm. Um, and then the, the other one is sort of, you know, authenticity or, um, is it cool work or is it your cool work? You know, mm -hmm. I could certainly pursue a lot of ideas that aren't my own and still make them look great or whatever, but I don't know that I would get as much fulfillment out of it. And I do feel like there's, the product is just better. The work is just better when I come at it as myself. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that's why I really did fall into this current niche of making a lot of plant-based work because it's always surrounded me and been a part of my life, whether actively or not. Um, so plants are something that I just enjoy 
regardless of making artwork about mm. plants. So connecting with other people that also enjoy plants mm. and the why for them and the reason we just keep doing these kooky things, even though we could all just, you know, go live in the woods and be with plants all the time. We don't do that. Right. But mm -hmm. there's part of us that still wants to <laughs> engage with a living thing, whether it's a person or a pet or a plant. Um, mm -hmm. So I think it's that, that so what, and well, what do I have to offer? So it keeps coming back around to plants. Yeah, I uh, I talk about, I think it's what you're saying is really true about all creative pursuits. Uh, I always say like, uh, like a, no one can name the fastest guitar player in the world. Like you, they're, they're the best at it. They're the fastest. They can certainly play more notes per second than any other person. But like, you're going to know Santana's name instead, just because they actually put themselves into whatever they were creating just like uh with realism i would say shredding is kind of like the realism of guitars because it's like cool you can play crazy fast perfectly but like i felt nothing watching <laughs> i think that's a great analogy i mean i uh visual art and music has always seemed to go hand in hand or i've always had a lot of musician friends whether mm -hmm. they were friends because they were musicians or not and I have a, a friend from high school who's a very gifted guitar player and has certainly grown creatively mm -hmm. as he has aged, but he would get that same feedback a lot when we were younger, you know, yeah. like, great, that's technically wonderful. You could do all the things, yeah. but like, I'm bored with that. Yeah, so yeah. I think we traveled a similar path and kind of eating that criticism. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yep. That's an interesting one too, because um it's um it's almost like having to break your process down again or like re mm. like really you know it's a it's about like reflecting on that a little bit too like yeah like why am i doing this why it, why is this my medium what's mm -hmm. the reason that i want this to be the thing mm -hmm. i think that's really obvious when you're putting things on paper um mm. or like you know selling like a physical piece of art and i think it can sometimes be really difficult for people who create music or videos and then put it out to like the ether to mm -hmm. un like to understand like the why because the the market is just like so huge and saturated and it feels like you're just throwing a, a pebble on to a beach right. <laughs> you know like very yeah. often and you you hear that a lot from people who are like, you know, like I just need to get my stuff out there. And mm -hmm. I, I think that that is super helpful to say like, well, like for, like for what, you mm -hmm. know, because I would say, you know, what, what is the end of like that work experience for, you know, you, like what, what is the goal of doing that work over like a long period of time uh, look like for you personally? Um, I mean, honestly, it's to free up my studio so I have room <laughs> and want to make new things. But no, really, it is about like making the thing and enjoying it and being satisfied with the end result, but then letting it go and hoping mm -hmm. that, it, you know, it goes to a person satisfaction or somebody who's going to enjoy it um, other than just being in my closet or a corner of my studio or a dumpster or whatever so uh just getting it out into the world after i've had my time with it is the ultimate goal um but really it is just sort of putting something 
positive into the world. So I feel like that's why I do come back to the plants a lot. So even though this installation um, at the 410 won't have any live plants in it, the one in Austin does, which is um, similar to my previous installation works. And as a part of those works, I give away the plants or I invite people to adopt the plants, especially at the end of the show. Mm -hmm. um, since Austin's a longer running show for the last two weeks of that show, the plants are up for adoption. Mm. So it both unburdens me. It lightens my load. I don't have to keep repotting these plants into perpetually bigger pots <laughs> and figuring out how to um, keep them thriving. But it's like, it's putting something, it's literally planting myself and my work into somebody else's mm. environment in a way that isn't just junk. You know, I've been to a lot of shows or a lot of installations that um, offer some sort of takeaway or some sort of participatory aspect. And I always really enjoy that. Um, but for me, it didn't feel genuine to make a thing to then give away. So the thing I made was, you know, making the plant propagation small mm. enough and enticing enough for somebody to take it home with them instead. So continuing to put positive substance out into the world instead of mm -hmm. just more stuff um, is part of it too. I, I kind of, even when you're talking about how some part of it for you is, you know, freeing up space in the studio, I was thinking about that um, and quickly it's shifted to like, oh, it's like an eco, it's like a healthy ecosystem. Like it requires um, turning over, it requires like new input, it requires um, getting stuff out. Otherwise, like it all stops working. Mm -hmm. So um, it's it's kind of neat that you're both like doing that on a really practical, like artistic level, but then also um, on a more, um, like with, with plants, it's a very uh, like, What's it? It's very this. It's like the same thing that that's what plants require, and that they need to be turned and mm -hmm. and moved and shifted. Otherwise, they'll just wither and die. Well, and I think that's what we require too, right? Like you yeah, all have yeah. rearranged the space, or we get <laughs> bored and want to rearrange our room or our apartment or our house or whatever. Or we want to switch out the art on the walls. Is a conversation my partner and I have a lot, and ultimately nothing happens because we can't <laughs> agree, or there's like a spot on the wall, and we remember that's why something's there, but. <laughs> There's that need to sort of refresh in or yeah. to go through that process of purging, deciding what you don't need or what you can put to better use is maybe the thing I think about the most. How can that maybe be put to better use than it doing nothing mm. than occupying space for me or for other people? Um, so I try to, I guess, create that experience in different ways for other people. Mm -hmm. For me in my studio, it's all about like, chaos but also mazen plots at the same time like it looks like mm -hmm. you go in there and there's everything's just all over the place but i know exactly where everything is and that's how i work the best like when it's not too clean so that i'm not like afraid to get anything dirty but everything is where i want it to be <laughs> <laughs> so I, I end up doing exactly that quite a bit <laughs> and then it gets out of hand and then i have to restart again <laughs> Yeah, I'm definitely between those things. I like having all the stuff visible, but um, people who know me aren't surprised here that like I need what I refer to as like a visual calm, like everything does have its place. Mm -hmm. So it has to be there before I feel like I can really focus mm -hmm. and function. So mm -hmm. um, clean, not necessarily, but tidy 
very, yeah. very much so where things right. have to be I'm not distracting way. me. It has to, like there need there needs to be a certain like way about it, and I don't think that anyone else would pick it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a great way to put it. That's yeah. exactly what it is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would I would like to see the embarrassing pie chart of me rearranging my space versus things that I've shown people that were created there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a hard relationship. <laughs> yep. But you know, I mean, part of that ecosystem is you know like our emotional and monetary survival too. So I wouldn't mm. want to cut that out too far. You know. Like I, I feel like a lot of a lot of when people look at the arts, there's so much aspirational um, stuff. You know, they see like uh, rock stars living or like top level content creators in their mansions, mm-hmm. and like I don't think that those are the things that make if those people are happy. Yeah. <laughs> if those people are happy, which I kind of doubt. Yeah, it's like a, if you if this if you went outside the stream room at like some Twitch streamer's house, do you think it looks as cool as that mm-hmm. room they've spent all this time mm-hmm. setting up, or does it look exactly like my kitchen? Yeah, or I mean, I hear I hear a lot about that from people who ended up like kind of you know like making it in those circles, and they when they talk about looking back, they're like, oh, like some of the best times are my memories of like when I was doing what I wanted to all of the time, like yeah. before, like I was making sponsorship videos or go opening up Twitter every day looking for trends. And like, that's one of the reasons that I'm like really thankful that like triple falls is so like focused on Southern Minnesota. Like we can acknowledge like what's going on on the internet, but like our ecosystem is like mm-hmm. the arts ecosystem here. Yep. So like it, it feels like you're, you're tied into that. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, you know, a lot of that aspirational stuff probably goes out the window, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you know, like, I hopefully it's just good times forever. It's kind of like a useful creative constraint in the same way that we were talking about that mm-hmm. earlier. Yeah. Like provides a little bit of scope for your your ideas, your vision, your like decision making that can help you move in a helpful direction. I also think like personally not having a lot of money, that's a really useful constraint. Like it really just rockets me towards success constantly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Shelly, do you find yourself as someone who like uh, just like starts a piece of work and kind of lets it find its own life or are you kind of more of a person that is a, like you have an image and you like to execute that image? I always have a strong idea at the start of what I think the first one in a series is going to look like because mm. I rarely do just one of anything. Yeah. Um, but it it changes and Mm. I feel like that was another big part of the educational process for me whether it was in academia or happening around or outside of it um it has to change if you have too much of a plan it's just dry and feels like a product more than in artwork um and that's I think a big reason that I continue to create installations Mm. Um, because people are like, oh, you must have such a plan, which I do have a lot of planning Mm. that goes into it in terms of like what's feasible Mm -hmm. or what's allowed in the space, what's possible in the space. But ultimately, I never have the end form fully realized because Mm. that is what finishes an installation. It's not Mm. just responding to the space and making something specifically for it or to fit it well. It's the actual act of executing it. So mm-hmm. it's like the closest, I guess, I would say I come to performance art, but I don't like being watched. So I don't yeah, think yeah. I would ever go as far as that. <laughs> um, but it is that 
performative aspect of me interacting with the space to install the work and deciding, oh, you know, I actually thought I was going to do it like this, but I'm doing this instead because it still fits within the constraints that are established Mm. with the site or what's feasible um, or what's physically possible. Like, does a ladder go that high? Can I reach (laughs) it? Those sort of things. But um, it's always changing. So even the show at the 410 all along the last few months since I talked to Dana and we picked dates for the show, um, I had this one idea about how I thought it was going to fill the back portion of the gallery. But just last week, I was like, no, I'm not doing that at all. I'm actually doing like the opposite of Mm. what I thought I was going to do for several months, Mm. um, which I guess keeps it exciting for me. And I think that that usually does pay off in the end, Um, whether people know all that or not they have a more enriching experience going through yeah. and witnessing and interacting with the work because there's something of that. Yeah. Do that you, have you always found there. yourself like being good at letting those things go? Or is that kind of like a skill that develops over time? It develops over time because I get a lot of anxiety about the unknown, especially when it comes to like, so you're going to say you're a professional artist, but you're not going to know what the thing is actually going to look like yeah, until yeah. the last second, you know, so it takes <laughs> some convincing. So uh, I'm really grateful to all the local uh, art spaces for enabling that to happen to yeah. different extents. So yeah. the 410's been the most supportive because that is where I had my first solo show several years ago. And um, Dana was very supportive and, you know, encouraging those portions of the process to play Mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. And I've certainly worked with some galleries that are also rather anxious and want a little bit more of a plan. Mm -hmm. And they also need me to be more rigid going into it. But usually once you go and you get started and you document the work and you have photos to sort of show what it is that you do in general and mm-hmm. how it will be like that, but not exactly yeah, that yeah. thing um, is both something that, you know, you develop individually, but then you sort of educate not just art institutions, but people in general about mm. the possibilities and the good reason to leave room for possibility mm. rather than being so mm. constricted to this is what it is. Mm. If it makes you feel any better, literally every artist I know, except maybe Willis's partner, JC, is exactly like that. Every one of them I've helped install, we move the paintings like 17 times. Mm-hmm. And like the what the vision we came in with is never what we leave with, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think that's pretty common in the field. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I it's both a strength and a huge flaw because I, I have both sides of that. I've learned the side that's hard for me. But my instinct is still to look at the floor plan of the gallery. Yeah, yeah. And fi- if it, there's not dimensions, I'm going to acquire those dimensions. So <laughs> yeah, I know yeah. how many of these works are going to fit on that wall. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, I'll even pre-curate, like, this is the order they're going to go in. Mm-hmm. But in other instances, like, you know, so with the display of my 2D work, I'm definitely that way. Mm-hmm. But then mm-hmm. on the installation side... You can only take it so far before mm, it's sure. the other That's way. That's interesting, too, because, like, you can't really control how someone views the space like just as far as like when I walk in if this spot's full I'm gonna go right to the back anyway so that's got to be interesting to try to curate how someone's gonna view that stuff when Mm -hmm. it's really just animals walking around you know nobody knows (laughs) events really like tie things up with a bow you know like Mm. for completion but when you're just working on like a series like you said so much of your work is how do you determine that that series is complete 
That's a really good question too. Um, I'll usually try to find a rule or some sort of thing that's logical to me. So for the last series of plant silhouettes that I completed for the Carnegie, that rule was all of those drawings were started on a residency that I had a couple years prior to that show. So that was the end of that series. It was just however many I had started while on residency was how many went into it. But that work is quite frankly indefinite. I'll probably return to it. That wasn't the first series of those works I've done. Um, so it's always coming back around. Uh, as I mentioned before, with these drawings that'll be in inversion, there's 13 done for this show, but I did get a lot more photos that I felt were strong or had strong aspects that I want to utilize. So there may be a second round of them or more to come. Um, with installations, it's a few things. It's usually, you know, how much have I shown it in this area? Because even though the installation itself is singular, it becomes a series by how many different places I show those components. Mm. But my personal challenge is for my own satisfaction to always have a new component or a new combination of components. So I have like sets of things I use and then I'll throw old ones out and bring new ones in, um, which has been the case for the last several years. And even Austin is that way. All the components in Austin have been used before, but never in that sort of space, never in that exact combination. Hmm. And now the 410 show will be a sort of new leaf you might say because mm -hmm. it's entirely new um, there are no old components coming forward other than maybe a few structural things mm -hmm. just on the budget side um, what can I repaint mm -hmm. and reuse to make it a new thing along with all the new primary components and that works so um, I never really know when they're done because I just keep re using them or repurposing or kind of breaking them down and cutting them up and reusing things as well. Um, I try to not waste as much as possible. So I end up not necessarily showing the same work, but I'll cut up things and then make a collage or um, just totally restructure things quite often. So uh, this new installation work at the 410 will be a new show and all new work, but it'll just be the first in a series of different iterations of this installation work. Thank you. I think that might be a, a good place to even wrap it. Unless anybody no, yeah, I was just about to ask. Ways. Yeah, uh, it, where can we find out more about Shelly? Where can we plug your Instas or your websites yeah. or your home address, whatever you, you, <laughs> <laughs> whatever you want. To put yeah. <laughs> yeah. All the socials, my website, my name, just ShellyCaldwell.com. Um, my Facebook is Shelly Caldwell one. It's with an E Y. So that's usually why people might struggle finding me. Um, mm. and then my Instagram is called S C A L D underscore art. Beautiful. Well, thanks again. Good to have you back. Yeah, yeah thank nice you, guys. Me. Nice chatting with you. Looking forward to it.